in our discussion about the model of Jesus in evangelizing Muslims, learning from the Jesus example of how he spoke to people, interacted with people individually and small groups and even masses of people. Whether you use TV or radio or any other means, internet, there's nothing more important than a personal witness. A number of missionaries say, my ministry is media, and they're not willing to talk to one Muslim. I believe this is a mistake. Jesus' model was that he himself, he didn't just send his disciples to go do it, but he himself interacted with people on different levels, one-on-one, in groups, families, visited their homes, ate with them. We need to develop a friendship. The personal witness is the most effective and the one that lasts the longest. Jesus told us to bear fruit that will last. If you want lasting fruit, you need to invest your life in the life of another person who would learn from all your experiences, decades, uh, whatever years that you've known the Lord, so that he will also pass it on to someone else. And we will be talking about that process of discipleship later. Right now, as we're going through the various principles that I have learned in my personal witness of uh, how to witness to a Muslim, how to start a conversation, and what are the various questions you ask and, and, uh, and questions that you answer also, uh, we come to the point where you must use the Scriptures. Even though I referred to this before, but now I want to emphasize that the Bible needs to be always in your hand. We need to be um, attached to this Word of God. I know a lot of people carry Bibles that look like this, which is okay. I'm not going to go against technology. But a Bible where you can flip and so on, for me, is much more effective, especially in your witness to others, rather than just in your personal uh, readings and study of the Bible. Take a Bible with you and have copies in your car, in your bag, especially if you're going out and you know you're going to witness, take Scripture in the language of the people and always use the Scripture. If you notice, I am carrying the Bible. I put it here on the podium, even though I have the verses here and in my mind. But when you open the Bible in your hand, there's an authority of God's Word that communicates a lot more powerfully than just quoting Scripture from your memory or just telling stories from the Bible. When you read the Bible, also put a copy in their hand. And if there's only one copy, sit next to this person and let them go through it yourself. Uh, just a few months ago, uh, one of the Saudi converts uh, had a baby and her mother came to visit from Saudi Arabia. So the young woman said, would you please witness to my mother? So I came and spent two hours with her, and I sat next to her, contrary to tradition, but of course in a respectful way. And I opened the Bible, and I said, the Bible is 1,189 chapters. Um, that's a lot to read. <laughs> Can I just give you some guidelines how you may read it? So I began with Genesis and explaining the full gospel story, but by flipping through 
telling her what Genesis is, what is Exodus, and what are what is Numbers and Deuteronomy and the Kings and the Samuel, and went on and on explaining. In a very short way, I got her into the Word of God. When she held a book like this in her hand, and I'm just flipping it with her and showing her Job and the Psalms, and occasionally I read some of the Psalms, uh, some beautiful Psalms, Psalm 23, for example, uh, Psalm 105, give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, make known among the nations what He has done. And went on to the Proverbs, read a couple of Proverbs. You are whetting the appetite of the person to the contents of the Bible. And then you go on to the prophecies and read some of it. 43, Isaiah talks about new things that God wants to do. There's a lot of beautiful things you can select. I have them highlighted in my Bible so that I just flip through it and go over it until I come to Matthew. And I tell them that from here to here is the New Testament. This is the story of Jesus, His life, His birth, His miracles, His teachings, on and on. When you do this, even though it takes just a few minutes, and it depends on the interest of the person. Sometimes I've done this in 10 minutes or 20 minutes, or an hour, or two hours. And sometimes if I have several months with these people, I meet with them on a daily basis or a weekly basis, whatever works out. And I give them the message of the Bible from the Bible, not from my head. It has a powerful impact on people. Always use the Scripture. Don't quote it from memory, although they will notice, if you know it by heart, that you are reading it. Not too closely, but it's still the Word of God. Uh, oftentimes, when I first meet a Muslim, I don't push the Bible against their will to them. I tease them first. I show them some beautiful things in the Bible, and I say to them, you know, if you, are, uh, if you would like a copy, I can get you one. I so happen to have one in my bag or in my car, and I go give it to them. Also offer to do a Bible discussion, not a Bible study, but a Bible discussion on a regular basis. I would not commit to saying to them, let's meet every Monday or every Tuesday. I would say each time, say, how about next week? When can we meet next time? One time uh, a guy, uh, I was thinking he would be interested in meeting once a week. So I said, let's meet next week. He said to me, why wait so long? So I said, when would you like to meet? He said, I'd like to meet with you every day. And from time to time, I get people who want to meet even for hours every day because they are just opening their hearts. If you're in full-time ministry, put everything aside and take time to witness and help these people understand the Scripture and the very words of God. One principle I use, especially with Muslims in the United States, is deal with one person at a time. Several people <clears throat> have told me that uh, they have a meeting with several people at one time because they want to hit several birds with one stone. To illustrate how uh, we need to work with one person at a time, not in a group, I have this fascinating story of a Saudi family 
a mother came to visit her son and daughter who were both studying at the university in Boulder, Colorado. The father stayed back home. But we got to know them. My daughter began to study the Bible with the daughter. My son, one of my sons, studied the Bible with the son, who is the brother. And then my wife met uh, the woman. We had invited them over to our house. We had dinner so to, int uh, to introduce them to the other members of the family. Since three of them were involved in Bible studies with three separate members of my family, my wife and I decided to spend more time with them. We wanted to, uh, we offered them a road trip for five days uh, to Yellowstone. So they came with us in our car. We, they sat in the back and we drove them and we had a great time together. But when the evening came at the hotel, I thought, hey, what an opportune time. Every night I could open a Bible and do a study of the Bible every night with them. It turns out that neither the son nor the daughter nor the mother told the others that they're involved in a Bible study. When they got together, they looked at each other and they froze and they did not want to do a Bible study. We've had other experiences like this where several Arabs were interested. We invite them over for Thanksgiving. And then when there's one other Muslim who has not been part of the group is there, they don't want to talk about spiritual things at all. So you need to work with one person at a time. We do Friendship Partners, Friendship Partner Program. Uh, this is one of the most critical strategies to reach Muslims in the United States, is to uh, match one international student with one Christian family. We never give two Muslims to one family. And we tell them, don't invite other Muslims when you are sharing the gospel. Because uh, many of them fear. Some of them come from the same city. Some of them know someone else who knows their family. And they don't want uh, to reveal any of that, uh, that uh, there's uh, possible danger. Uh, to illustrate this even further and deeper, I remember the first three converts uh, among the Kurds in northern Iraq. Uh, there were two of them in, um, in Dohok and one in Zaho. These are two cities near the borders with Turkey. So I went there and I wanted to encourage these brothers and I wanted to gather them together, the three men, to, uh, to be an encouragement to each other. To my uh, surprise, I shouldn't be surprised, none of them, although they knew about the others, none of them wanted to meet the others. And they told us, please don't tell the other one about me, although they knew already from, from others. But they did not want to meet. So one day I went to the Lord in prayer. I woke up real early at 5.30, agonizing in my heart. And I prayed really earnestly. I said to God, Lord God, if three first converts here in Kurdistan cannot meet with each other, how are we going to have a church? And I began to think about what to do, what kind of things to teach these guys uh, so that they will come to a level of maturity where they can meet each other. And the Lord gave me these steps and I began to share them with the missionaries who worked with them. And thankfully, after three months, we had 22 converts meet together for the first time at the River Khabur, and we had a great time of worship. 
in Arabic and Kurdish and in English and one guy from Iran uh, we sang in Farsi. And that was the, the uh, nucleus of a church movement in, uh, in that part of Iraq in, in the north. So first meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. When they have matured, then they're willing to meet each other. It was amazing. Just uh, three weeks ago, we had a, a conference for Muslim converts right here in Florida. Not here, but here in the States, in the state uh, of Florida. And, uh, and some people had never met Muslims before who had come to Christ. They were greatly encouraged when they met with each other. But they can only meet with each other after they had been uh, come through levels of maturity um, uh, to be able to have the boldness and the faith to trust each other. Now we come to uh, another segment of this. When you meet a Muslim, you know how to ask them questions now. You know how to listen genuinely, how to interest them by asking them different things. Have you seen a dream of Jesus? Have you seen a Bible before? Have you heard of this parable? Let me tell you this story. Offer them a discussion on and on. Find out what the gospel is for those people. Now we get to a more difficult situation. What if they ask you questions about the Trinity, about Jesus, Son of God, about all kinds of difficult things, contradictions in the Bible? First thing you do, don't panic. There are many Christians who don't know how to answer the Trinity and other things. No big deal. Do not panic. Relax and don't make a big deal of it. Ask God for help. Secondly, do not feel obligated to answer every question. You can actually say, I don't know, if indeed you don't know. Sometimes... Um, that I don't know actually witnesses more than uh, saying I know and you come up with some uh, answer that wasn't uh, acceptable. I have a story to illustrate this. Ahmed from Egypt came to the States a number of years ago and as he was walking in the streets he wanted uh, to find out where a certain address was so he stopped another person who turned out to be a Christian from Jordan. But he didn't know that. He said to him, could you give me these directions? And the Jordanian Christian discovered that this guy is a Muslim, Arab. They began to speak Arabic with each other. They exchanged phone numbers and they began to meet. Now Ahmed was interested in converting, uh, forgot the name of the other guy, and the Jordanian Christian wanted to uh, share the gospel with him. And so there was a clash and there was arguments. That lasted about a year, this relationship. What turned Ahmed around, and now he's a minister of the gospel. I have personally trained him for two years in our uh, training program. What turned him around is that the Christian Jordanian said, I don't know many times. He said, I don't know how to answer this question, but I want to learn and I'll find out. And he would go to commentaries. He would ask questions about it. And he was honest. But Ahmed never said, I don't know. He was too prideful to say, I don't know. So one day he was pondering this. He says, this guy is more honest than me. And that in itself is what turned him around. 
and he began to investigate Christianity and he went to him and they were studying together. Because he says, I don't know, he said, let's find out together. And he found Jesus and now he's been a Christian over 10 years and he has programs all over the world on um, Arabic TV. So when you are asked a difficult question, do not panic. You can say, I don't know. You can also, these are indirect ways. I will hopefully answer you some direct question, uh, answers as well. How about changing the topic? It's normal to change the topic. I have sat in many living rooms where somebody's talking about sports, and I'm not interested in sports. And I find a crack in the discussion, and I bring in another topic. Hey, uh, have you heard what, uh, what Obama said? Or have you heard about uh, the bailout in Cyprus or some other topic? When you change the topic, it's normal. People are willing to go with the flow. And so uh, it's possible to change the topic. And uh, Jesus did that, actually. Sometimes uh, Jesus asked, uh, was asked a question that he did not really want to answer. And he asked them a question. And what I have found from a psychological perspective, when you ask a different question to the person who asked you, they forget the question they asked because they like to answer questions. They like to talk. So you can change the topic if necessary. Another technique I've used is that I ignore the question and I say what I want to say anyway. Like in my debates. People, uh, my debater is uh, arguing some things about the Bible. I ignore it and I say what I want to say. Um, you can get away with this by saying, uh, well, it's interesting you ask me this question, but I have something more important to talk about. And then you can talk about it. If somebody says to you, well, we can't trust the Bible, you can ask them the question, do you trust God? Do you believe that you, if you do all these things, you will go to heaven? And so that turns the subject back to him. And you can uh, avoid the difficult question that way. <clears throat> um, one, uh, one example, once I uh, was asked a question by, um, by a woman in, uh, in um, Albania. Uh, actually, she's Albanian in Kosovo. We were having a Bible study, and this woman named Arta walked in. I'd never met her before. She had heard about me, that I'm here Bible teaching. So she stood, and I said, please have a seat. She said, I'm not sitting down until you answer me. I said, what do you want me to answer you? She said, tell me, why do you say Jesus is the Son of God? And so I knew she was challenging me at this time, and I had about 15 people studying the Bible. What do I do at that moment? Do I change the subject? I was doing discipleship with these people. Or do I answer her? And I came up with this technique. I said, Arta, of course she introduced herself. I said, Arta, I have the two-minute answer and the two-hour answer and the two-year answer. Which one do you want? And she smiled and said, well, give me the two-minute answer and let us see. From that time on, I continued to use this technique. 
I ask people, do you want the short answer or a long answer? By doing that, you are helping them understand that this is a complicated issue. You cannot answer it very quickly. And if you answer it in a short way, they know that there's a longer answer and they choose the shorter answer and they're often very satisfied. So I explained to her that uh, you'd think that Jesus the Son of God means that God got married and had a baby through a woman named Mary and that's many Muslims accuse Christians of doing that. I do not know of one Christian who thinks that God got married to Mary and brought Jesus Christ. So this is not a physical sonship, it's a spiritual sonship. I said, do you want to know the two-hour answer now? She said, no, that's enough. And she sat down. And I have often used that, and rarely do I get people who want to know the two-hour answer. But I do have some of these people, and one of them I met in uh, Morocco. Muhammad was his name. He is from uh, Mauritania. And he, uh, he wanted to know more about what Son of God means. I'm going to take this up in the next uh, class because it's more, uh, it's more demanding and I'm not going to take a full two hours about it. So when you are asked a difficult question, don't panic, relax, pray, ask God to help you how to mitigate the situation, how to avoid confrontation by either ignoring or changing the subject or asking a different question or saying that this is a difficult question, let's talk about some things more basic first and then we'll get to that. And I have been very successful with many people like this. There are those who still want to know more and that's for another lesson.